Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm super excited today. Um, you ready for some serious MSP talk? Um, this episode of Damien Stevens Live, we're talking all things exit strategy with Earl Foot, uh, the man behind Nexus IT. So if you want to learn how to make mistakes and bounce back from them, grow your revenue, become best in class and look for metrics that matter to uh, would-be acquirers, and ultimately look at another option besides selling to the devil, aka PE, then you're in the right place. Now, this episode is a little different. Earl got invited to, to, to go ring the NASDAQ bell. So, uh, I mean, who gets to do that? That's pretty awesome. Now, he was kind enough to record this interview with me yesterday, and we're streaming it for the first time ever now. And he also offered to, to answer any questions that you guys have. So he's going to come back and make sure to answer your questions. So um, Earl can't be available right now as you're watching this because he's got to do something pretty awesome. Um, and uh, But go ahead and throw all those questions that you have in the comments. Um, doesn't matter if it's the beginning or the end, throw comments at any time. We'll be live answering them, and then we'll make sure to uh, compile those and have Earl back for some really interesting Q&A. So he's got some killer insights on how to sell your MSP and turn it into a revenue machine. Trust me, you don't want to miss this episode. Don't sell your MSP to the devil on Damien Stevens Live. So let's get started. Who is Earl? Earl is the founder and CEO of Nexus IT. He's a member of uh, the board at Pando and the Salt Lake City Chamber. Um, and he's an advisor, frankly, so many companies, I didn't want to list all of them. He's somebody that really gives of himself and um, informally advises many companies. Pretty cool podcast. I'm going to let him plug that, um, but, a, a, but a, a podcaster. And interestingly enough, the band 90 Proof. So that's a pretty cool story, Earl. Uh, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me here today, Damien. It is uh, a pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to hang out with you today. Yes. Awesome. Uh, so I know this wasn't the question everybody came here to, but tell me about 90 proof, right? I mean, it's got to have something to do with uh, liquor, right? So tell me about some, some, some cool, th <laughs> and what kind of music is it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, I started playing music when I was six. My parents put me in piano, uh, in piano lessons back then. Uh, in junior high, I convinced them to let me play drums. And then in, um, in college, I taught myself guitar and bass. Um, and as an adult, uh, as I, you know, built a business and a family, uh, I didn't play a lot of music. Right. And as my kids got older, which now, uh, so I have three biological boys and two, uh, bonus kids, uh, have a blended family with, with my wife, Angie, um, so five between the two of us, but they're all adults. Um, and so as, as they got older and I had more time on my hands, I, you know, I, I went back to music. So the last like six years I've been, uh, I went back kind of, um, took some formal lessons on, uh, on bass and guitar, um, uh, you know, to learn more theory and more skills and that kind of stuff, you know, hone my craft a little bit. I won't pretend to be um, a fantastic musician. I'm, I'm pretty average, you know, give me some three, three or four chord rock and roll or some pretty simple blues, you know, and, and I can, I can hold down my, you know, I can hold down the fort. Right. But, um, 
So the, the band actually is all tech execs or tech founders. Um, and that wasn't by design, but it just kind of fell together that way. Um, so uh, VPs of IT, CTOs, um, you know, and multiple uh, tech founders, including myself on base. Um, uh, we primarily play 90s covers, 80s covers, um, and uh, the entire band likes whiskey. So uh, the 90 proof, you know, thing with the 90s music and, and uh, whiskey, you know, being common ground for all of us just kind of made sense. That's crazy that you found so many IT executives that could do anything besides hit play on something. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, not, not that IT guys can't. It's just to, that, that seems like a rare um, crossover. Yeah, you know, there's a um, there's a lot more talented people out there than I think we we would guess or give credit for in in IT. You know, um, it, because of that's kind of part of our culture here at Nexus IT. You know, and, and people know I'm in a rock band. Um, uh, if we were to switch the camera here on the other side of the wall, you know, there's several guitars hanging here in my office. Um, so we actually have a number of musicians here at the company, like eight or ten. You know, um, uh, of our team members, right? They, they sing, they play guitar, play piano, you know, different instruments. And then a whole bunch of other people that paint and do photography. And, you know, uh, of course, a lot of, a lot of people that are super into D and D and gaming and stuff too. Right. But, uh, that have hobbies that we would oftentimes, uh, think unconventional in the industry. Right. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, man. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about Nexus IT. I want to kind of, uh, give the audience an idea of what that is. Let's start with the basics. How long have you been at it? This is one of those overnight successes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 24 year overnight success. <laughs> um, so we actually started in 1998. Uh, my brother and I started the business together. Um, you know, our first play was uh, to set up a, a turnkey e commerce network gear website that we did. Uh, it, it immediately gave us. Um, API integration with Ingram Micro and Tech Data. So we had, um, you know, for a fairly cheap price, we had a turnkey website with millions of SKUs, right? Um, and uh, I was 23. My brother was 26, probably. Um, I think he's got four years on me, but he was 26 or 27. And, um, you know, we thought we were going to be, this was during the dot-com boom. We thought we were going to be, you know, uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs overnight. Um, and, uh, you know, suddenly like, you know, a month later we've got this, you know, website up and we're like twiddling our thumbs and where's the, you know, where, where are the orders? Where's the, where's the income, you know, um, had no idea, you know, what it meant to, to market or advertise or drive traffic to a website back then. And of course it's, you know, totally different today. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that actually led, really quickly kind of into our first entrepreneurial uh, epiphany. Uh, and that was at the time in Utah, there was significant need um, and an opportunity in the market where small and medium business, um, uh, there wasn't adequate availability of quality um, IT services, you know, for them. Um, uh, most of them, you know, were, were new to dealing with technology. In fact, um, I remember, you know, late nineties, we were still helping a lot of organizations affect their original digital transformation. We were taking them off paper, right. And, and putting them in client server, server environments and architecting out new infrastructure and training people on how to even, you know, use a computer. 
Um, that was back when so, the, the end goal was to type it all in and then print it out. It mostly seemed like, you know, the, the first version of going digital was like, you know, this is basically a filing cabinet and printing super important. Yeah. Yeah. Let me print out this report and walk it over to your desk and hand it to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, we kind of settled in quickly on what I would call a contract services model. Um, you know, late nineties, of course, we could do some remote work, but that was over dial-up modems and, and PC anywhere. And it was pretty painstaking. Right. Uh, and yeah, so it was primarily on-site services. Um, you know, the managed services model was just really starting to emerge and RMMs, you know, um, just really starting to, to kind of hit the ground. Uh, you know, so for several years, we kind of toyed with a bunch of different uh, hypotheses um, on, you know, where we wanted to settle and try to find product market fit. Um, ultimately, kind of mid-2000s, you know, as the managed services model became more of a, a thing. That's where we started, you know, focusing our efforts um, while still having some e-commerce lines to the, to the organization. In 2012, my brother and I split the business in half um, and went yeah, our separate tell, ways. Tell me about that, right? That's uh, what I love is you were very open about, uh, you know, everybody talks about overnight success or just up and to the right. And, Tell us about the revenue, right? That that wasn't a growth year, if I understand that. That was a yeah. pretty big step backwards. Tell us. It was. Give it, us the details. Big step backwards. Yeah, you know, um, we decided that, you know, we were we just weren't uh, 100% aligned in what we were trying to build together, right? And so we just decided it would be better for, you know, each of us to kind of build our own thing separately. And that's worked out really well. Um, so um, that year, uh, the revenue that I would have taken over was about two and a half million. Um, and uh, in the process, uh, you know, I, I took a, a good look at, um, uh, at several of our e-commerce lines because um, we were at that point, we had primarily, you know, a managed service model and some e-commerce um, in, in, the, in the organization. Um, and I did away with a, a fair amount of our e-commerce um, in 2012. And actually, so I scaled for back from two and a half million to a half million in revenue in 2012, uh, actually did away with all of our e-commerce in 2018. Um, just, you know, it was no longer profitable and we wanted to really get hyper-focused on, uh, you know, on managed services and managed security services, uh, and building, you know, Nexus IT. So, um, so you went from two and a half million, which frankly, most <clears throat> MSPs don't get there Yeah, to half a million. That's yeah, it. Two and yeah. a half to half. Yeah. Yep. That's not, um, that's not the normal growth strategy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah. Like you said, I mean, everybody thinks that entrepreneurship is always up and to the right. Um, I got to, I got to use the left hand here because uh, the, the camera's flipped. But uh, anyways, um, it, that, I mean, those of us that have done it, we know that's not the case, right? Um, it is quite the roller coaster. Um, and uh, so, you know, since 2012, you know, really have kind of leaned in on, managed services, managed security services, um, you know, in the process, becoming a sole owner, um, a solopreneur at that point, um, you know, I, I really had to take a deep look into uh, myself and what I wanted to build and how I was going to do that. Right. Um, and, you know, candidly to that point, um, uh, 
I wouldn't say that, you know, our having built what we built was all luck, but um, we certainly weren't super intentional nor, um, uh, you know, our acumen in the process of, of you know, really understanding um, having a vision and, you know, building that vision through building out marketing and sales, you know, uh, engines, and then, you know, really fine tuning operations and all that kind of stuff. Um, that hadn't really necessarily that 14 years of, of our story, you know, been, been part of that. Um, so, uh, you know, 2012, I had to take a, a big step back and go, okay, what, you know, how am I going to do this? Cause now it's, it's hundred percent on me. Um, and I had to really quickly begin to hone my craft as, as an entrepreneur, founder, a CEO, um, you know, uh, fill my gaps uh, and level up on on leadership on uh my business acumen you know when it came to marketing and sales and operations and finance and hr and you know all that kind of stuff right um uh at the time probably had three-ish employees um you know uh then you know today we we sit um around 65 employees um and you know in that and, in a and decade, i'm guessing now, more than just doing the math, that means you're probably at more than half a million in revenue. Uh, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're into eight figures, um, you know, okay. at this point. Um, so that's since 2012. Eight figures. What's that? Since 2012. Yeah, yeah. So in 10 years, we've rebuilt from, you know, almost the ground up um, to, uh, you know, uh, into, the, into the eight figures at this point. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I wanted you to tell that part of it because... Um, so many people think they're the only ones where it's hard or where they get these huge setbacks. And it's, I, I don't know that I've ever met an entrepreneur that didn't have these, these huge moments. Also, I'd love to hear you. <clears throat> it's so hard in the early days, anybody that's check clears is considered a good customer. So I heard you say we got rid of business. We, we probably had to fire customers. You didn't say that. I'm guessing that might've been part of it. Um, you know, how did you, how did you decide what you wanted to be, you know, an aim? Because to achieve the scale you did, you probably couldn't continue to do everything, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, and that that all, I think that's a um, that's a process that never really goes away, right? Of course, you know, um, the, our, our buddy Mike McCallowitz, you know, he calls it pumpkin planning. Um, and, um, uh, you know, as an MSP, you know, those of us that, that attend, you know, best practices groups and peer groups and all that kind of stuff, of course, um, the, the, uh, the common, uh, school of thought is that you, you focus in on some sort of industry vertical, right? Um, and, uh, of course you, you look for high quality revenue and do away with your, your low quality revenue, which that's all been part of our process, um, is fine tuning and tweaking, you know, um, what our vertical fo focuses are, um, you know, uh, looking for the right types of, of clients. We've made a very concerted effort um, in our journey to move upstream in the marketplace. You know, um, our average seat size, you know, sits something like around 250 seats at this point. Um, but we have clients that have a couple thousand, you know, 2,500 employees um, or so. Um, and we still have a few very small ones, you know, that are, you know, five users, 10 users, uh, but, you know, really good clients that, um, uh, you know, have significant cyber and compliance needs and they have realistic budgets around those. 
and so we're able to, you know, to uh, be really good, you know, partners to them and provide them with a, a high touch, you know, sort of um, approach that they need. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's totally, um, and that's just it, man. Entrepreneurship is, um, it, it is a, a constant reevaluation and retooling, right? The market shifts, your clients need shifts, your people's need shift. Um, and, uh, you may think that you have it nailed, right? And in our industry, of course, you know, technology changes at a really rapid pace. And so um, you may think that you have it nailed, but, it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that usually lasts like thir- three, three to six months, maybe at the most. And then it's like, oh, we got to like completely re, you know, reevaluate what we're doing and how we're going to do it going forward. Right. So um, talk about growth, right? Just doing the math going from half a million to eight figures in a decade is much better than most. Uh, let's, you know, just say that lightly. Um, so what, what's the industry average growth and where have you guys, you know, landed to pull up, pull off that kind of growth? Yeah, sure. So I'll talk a little bit about organic, you know, growth versus, um, uh, strategic growth. And so, um, uh, to my knowledge, you know, based upon data that comes out of some of those best practices, you know, MSP groups that uh, you know we talked about a little bit earlier, um, the the industry generally grows at about ten to fifteen percent, you know, um, average per year. That's where most MSPs, MSSPs, that's where they lie in their organic growth every year. Um, you know, early in, in the journey of me taking over uh, sole ownership of, of Nexus IT, which I do have two new par- partners um, as of August last year. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So there, there are three owners in Nexus IT now. Um, but in that journey in 2012 of me, you know, taking over sole ownership, um, you know, um, I, 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 I stepped back and, and really um, took a look at um, where we wanted to go with this journey and, um learned most certainly that uh, really successful organizations and entrepreneurs, they understand and know that absolutely your clients and your people have to be top priority, um, but marketing and sales have to be top priority as well. You have to become a marketing and sales organization. And so um, I, I spent a lot of time and energy studying, you know, uh, effective messaging, effective marketing um uh, you know, tactics and strategies in MSP, MSSP sort of realms, uh, a lot of time A-B testing and trying to figure out what worked for us. Um, so in on an organic side, um, we've kind of honed in over the last, you know, six or eight years at a, at a, at a really average 30, 35% clip, um, you know, is what we, we grow out organically. Um, we have, um, we have executed to date seven, Acquisition seven, you know, seven M and A um, deals, and in the years that we do that, generally we trend, you know, closer to eighty to hundred percent in our year year over year growth. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a um, a process of, of focusing, you know, intently on quality marketing that drives quality opportunities um and having a really good refined sales process and sales team that you know that uh, can get those um, opportunities across the finish line but then also you know looking at strategic growth opportunities which is you know where we continue to to uh, focus efforts interesting so if i heard that if the industry average is 10 or 15 and you're going 30 35 you're going two and a half three x 
on the organic growth. So I want to talk to you about that. And then if I understand it, if you end up at 80 or 100 when you've got some M&A going on, you know, you're seven, eight, 10 times the growth that the average MSP is experiencing. So I imagine that's not always easy to pull off and easy to align. Um, before we get to that, you know, is it a, is it a was it a book? Was it a peer group? Um, I don't know that I'm not asking for a silver bullet, but like what to anybody that's not an eight figure MSP, but that's trying to get, you know, somewhere between there, maybe they're at a million, you know, maybe they're two, um, you know, what do you recommend? Because yeah. lastly, I think most of them are like me, a tech guy that, you know, sales and marketing was not their skill set. Sounds like that's where you were too. Totally. Yeah. I was an, I was an engineer, right? Like, um, when I, uh, when I took over the business in 2012, um, I was still, uh, you know, out doing service calls. I was still running projects, right. Um, and, you know, doing all the entrepreneurial things, you know, payroll and finance and HR and all that kind of stuff after hours. Um, what, what I had to, you know, really kind of change and learn was, um, if I wanted to have a high growth business and I wanted to build something meaningful that, you know, I had to shift my focus. I had to become, um, I had to become, uh, an executive, an entrepreneur, you know, somebody who was really, and I know it's cliche, but, but working on the business and not in the business. Right. Um, and then again, you know, really doubling down on my knowledge um, on the marketing side and what produces, you know, real results. Um, so, uh, you know, test, tested out so many different hypotheses over the last, you know, 10 years. And, and that's one of those areas where the market shifts, like, you know, uh, pay-per-click may have worked really well eight years ago. And today it's like, eh, you know, uh, so um, you're constantly retooling your your marketing engine um but for us really you know what's been the most um the most effective on that front is that um you know in that process as i took over um, ownership of nexus it uh you know studying our client persona um studying who makes decisions around you know technology purchasing and, and contracting msps um you know, what I found is that uh, business leaders, um, they absolutely will not outsource IT and especially not cybersecurity and compliance to you unless they trust you implicitly. And so um, we are in a trust based relationship type of business and it takes time to build those relationships. So, um, you know, I studied our sales cycle and, and often our sales cycle was 18 to 24 months, you know, of that relationship building process. And then, you know, you finally get into a business conversation and then it can take three or four months to, you know, to close a deal. So I started asking myself, how do we hack that, that cycle, right? How do we, how do we shorten this up? Um, and ultimately, you know, settled in on, on thought leadership and content. Um, and so today, you know, our game on thought leadership and content, just like yours with the podcast and myself with the podcast, um, you know, and, and being hyper engaged in the community, being very visible as a, as a brand, um, that that has made us kind of the default trusted advisor when it comes to managed, you know, uh, IT and managed security services in Utah. Um, and so we, you know, in Utah, we generate fifty to sixty, you know, quality inbound leads a month right now that primarily come to us off of our thought leadership and content game, right? Um, uh, and that continues to produce results and it continues to ramp, right? And we continue to, to invest in that. Um, 
there's a lot more we want to do. It's a matter of bandwidth uh, of being able to, but we're still, you know, 23, we have objectives, um, you know, that we're knocking down quarter by quarter um, of, you know, new things we want to do from a content perspective, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. 50, 60 inbound leads. Wow. That's, I'd say more than the average PMSP generates in a year, let alone a month. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a different level of scale. Um, how do you, what would you recommend? How do you get started? Right. Cause thought leadership content is pretty broad. Um, what did you do to get started? Or if you're doing that again, what would you recommend? Right. To everybody outside of your market, of course, anybody in the market should yeah. listen, but everybody else lean in <laughs> and listen. Right. Yeah. First and foremost, uh, I get started. Right. Uh, and, and that's, it's not a natural element for most of us as, as engineers. Look, I'm, I'm an introvert, right? But I have the ability like you to step outside of my comfort zone uh, when necessary, uh, you know, to, uh, to be the voice and the evangelist of the business. Um, and um, so for me, it's, it, you know, to answer that question, what I would say is kind of hone in on where you think you add value. Don't try to do the same thing everybody else is doing. Yes, you probably need to do a, a podcast, right? Um, you need video content, you need written blog content, you need social media, um, you know, uh, and you can tie all that into pay-per-click campaigns and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, other digital marketing efforts, tie it into your newsletters and, you know, drip email campaigns and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, just get started. It's going to be terrible. At first, if I go back and look at, you know, my early videos that I used to do, they were, they were really bad, man. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they, were, they were awful. And, and today they're not even that, you know, that amazing either. But there's something and, and people, you know, um, they relate to it and, and they latch on, right? So, uh, and sometimes I look at some of my social media posts and some are great. I try to post... I don't always do it because of busy days, but, you know, I try to post daily during the weeks um, as much as possible. Oftentimes that means that sometimes on a Saturday or Sunday, I'll sit down for a couple hours and I'll craft three or four posts. I'll automate them in HubSpot, right? So that they, they go out on certain days of the week because I know I won't have time during the week um, to do those. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's making a commitment, you know, uh, the most successful uh, people in the world, the most successful entrepreneurs, uh, they learn to um, to align priorities and to dedicate time to those priorities, right? Uh, to block out um, the time that's necessary, and that's con a constant balancing act. It's not easy, um, but uh, if you want to grow your 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 company, if you want to grow your MSP, you have to invest time into growing. Um, it, it's not just going to magically happen. Yeah, that's unfortunately all too true, right? The focus uh, and the regular, right? <clears throat> I know in the past. I've done this where it's like, this is great. And I'm super, it's a little bit like New Year's. I'm going to go work out for like two or three, four weeks. And then it lost its luster. I think that's been part of my challenge. Um, so let me turn that into a question, Earl. And if I go focus on this and do a podcast or write some content, schedule some posts, I mean, am I going to see leads pouring in three or four weeks later? I mean, probably yeah. my experience, no. But tell me what, yeah. what, what do I need to know as an MSP? that I'm looking at? What kind of commitment? Yeah. My experience in, in content um, and most marketing efforts are, are minimum, probably going to be a six to 12 month cycle before you start seeing, you know, significant ROI in content. Um, for me, uh, you know, in our experience, it's an 18 to 24 month cycle. Like you have to be willing to invest and you have to know that, you know, 
in those early days, you're going to have podcasts or posts that get zero views, right? Um, none. And you're going to have those that get two or three. And then you're going to get traction over time, right? And you, you start to you know hone your craft, hone your messaging, speak correctly to your, your, your right target audience, um, you know, become relevant to them. And then they start paying attention. And, and you know, um, today I have, you know, some social media posts that will hit 50, 60, 70,000, uh, you know, views and, and interactions into the thousands, interactions or shares and that kind of stuff. Uh, podcasts, you know, uh, I do a live podcast like you, um, you know, on, on my live podcast, I get anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand um, live guests. And then in the months, you know, because we publish the podcast in video format and then in audio format on all major pod, uh, on all major, um, you know, podcast platforms, Spotify and all that stuff. Right. Uh, by the way, the, the podcast is called Tech Beat, where leaders learn, innovate and grow. Um, and so um, and we'll talk more about about the podcast. Um, but um Generally, uh, you know, it's going to take time for you to get traction uh, and you have to be patient. Right. Um, but when that traction begins to hit critical momentum, you know, uh, you start to get um, significant interaction. And that interaction, in my opinion, in my experience, leads to you establishing your organization as a trusted advisor in the market. And that leads to people coming to you, you know, businesses coming to you ready to do business with you with a specific need that falls within the things that you're talking about, right? Um, they come and say, Hey, you know, we, uh, are, you know, our, our buddies down the road in the same industry got hit with ransomware, you know, two weeks ago, uh, we do not want that to happen to us. Uh, you know, can we do a, a vulnerability assessment, a pen test, and let's figure out what we need to do with an action plan to put together a written information security program and start implementing that. And, you know, um, what managed control, and they don't, they don't know all this vernacular, right? But what managed controls do we need and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and so... Um, yeah, you don't want to walk in and ask them, what, what's their operation maturity level of their CIS controls, right? That's not a, that's not a good sales and marketing yeah. question, right? So... Yeah. 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 If they, if they don't have an IT leader in that organization, they have no idea what that means. <laughs> they just know they won't, they, they don't want to get hacked. Yeah. I'm totally with that. <laughs> Speaking of that kind of, it's a good time to transition. Um, this show is sponsored uh, and brought to you by Servocity, Servocity Safe Managed Backups. So with Servocity Safe, you can cut your support tickets in half or more and let us manage every part of your backups. So what that means, instead of here's an amazing tool, you monitor it every day, you fix it and do recoveries, we flipped that script. We said, my team based in the US will deploy it, will monitor it, will manage it, and will report back to you. So if you would like to have us test your backups every single day, including every volume, and store your backups in tamper-proof immutable storage, where the ransomware can't override it, then that's what you're going to want to do. What really makes us different from other vendors is that you don't have to babysit your backups anymore, leaving you and your techs to focus to grow and scale your business. So for any business that's growing and scaling, and you want to understand what do I need to do to take some of the babysitting on my plate to focus on sales and marketing, to focus on my culture, just to free up your senior engineer that you probably have babysitting backups. And if you're tired of dealing, wasting your precious time on failed backups, or if you're worried about your ability to restore, then book a call at serosity.com slash call. 
I'll have a one-on-one call with you myself. If there's any way I can help, I'll be even happy to share our process, what we do in terms of testing. So if that's of interest, book a call at serasi.com slash call. So process, that got me thinking. We were just talking, Earl. You mentioned, and if I understood, 12 months minimum sounds like probably 18 or 24 months in authority marking, content, social. Um, and it sounds like there's got to be a strategy. I don't, I didn't think I'd ask this, but you said HubSpot. We use that too. In your opinion, are the tools built into the average RMM or PSA enough to do, to do the kind of things? I mean, there must be some reason you're paying money, I would imagine, for something besides what's included. So yeah, let me ask that again, just for everybody that the question really is why, not even why HubSpot, but really, why don't you just use the PSA or the RMM, right? They've got some basic sales and marketing tools. I found so many MSPs that try to do that and struggle. Yeah, you know, we, and, and we did um, do that for quite some time. You know, openly we're, we're on a ConnectWise stack, um, you know, so we used to use uh, the ConnectWise PSA for some of our marketing, um, you know, uh, campaigns and, um, you know, data and all that kind of stuff. As you grow and evolve as an organization, as you become more mature, uh, your needs change, right? And in my opinion, um, ConnectWise, Fantastic PSA, probably the best out there in the market. Is it a CRM? In my opinion, no, right? We've evolved beyond what it can do for us. And, you know, and that's, I guess, one of my messages, you know, as you, as you grow as an organization, becoming um, a very intentional organization that is data-driven, that is, um, you know, automating as much as you can uh, and, uh, extrapolating, you know, data from your activities so that you can analyze that and then make smart decisions, decisions of where you're going to continue to uh, focus your efforts uh, is very important. And CRM, you know, is one of those things on the marketing and sales side. Um, at some point, I think you evolve out of using, you know, kind of the industry ERP as your CRM, right? And you, you got to get focused on something that's that's a little higher level that's specifically made to, you know, to run and to scale uh, marketing and sales engines. Right. Uh, and so for us, that answer is HubSpot. Um, is it the answer forever? I don't know. It works really well for us right now. You know, it is, it's an extra expense. I think we pay like 4,500 bucks a month for it, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, half of a head. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a consideration. Um, and, you know, um, uh, for smaller MSPs out there, you know, if you're a $1 million, $2 million MSP, you know, your, your PSA might work for you. Um, or you can find other, you know, Zoho has, you know, free to cheap licensing, right? And gives you more functionality and capabilities, particularly on the data analytics side. Um, that's where we, you know, we struggle to, to really make ConnectWise work for us uh, as a CRM, uh, is the, the, the data analytics just weren't robust enough for us to really extrapolate what we needed and to make decisions out of it. So, um, and, you know, for sales team to really, uh, for a sales team to really manage a sales process and get forecasting of pipeline and all that kind of stuff, you, you need a more robust CRM. So the tool is interesting, right? But if I understand really a lot of it is at a certain point, you got to build more process. You got to have that operational maturity. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, you've, you've got to culturally 
define where the bar is at and where the standard is because garbage in is garbage out, right? So it doesn't matter if you're spending, you know, if you're spending half a million dollars a year on Salesforce, if, you know, the marketing and sales teams are not inputting the data and running, you know, their, their engines from there, they're, they're not going to do anything for you, right? So you have to shift the culture in an organization to be, um, you know, very hyper-connected to your tools and then to be data-driven based upon, you know, the data that you're able to pull from those. Garbage in, garbage out. Super familiar with messing that part up and learning that lesson. Um, <laughs> right. let's, let's switch gears for a moment. Um, kind of backstage, we were talking about that part of your journey is to become or has to become an MSP-owned and operated entity. So switch gears. Let's talk about what, what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, about five years ago, PE started to, to come into our industry. You know, um, uh, PE being generally funds built of, um, you know, family office um, finances, um, hyper wealthy that are looking for a place where they can put tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars and have a stable um, a stable industry that is, you know, growing and projected to grow for decades to come um, at, a, at a stable rate where they can take, you know, um, they can take uh, predictable dividends, right? And at some point, probably, you know, some, some of the PE plays are to, to um, hold those entities for five years, seven, 10 years, sell them to a larger PE firm or a strategic exit. Um, you know, some of them are to hold them indefinitely and just to take dividends from them. Um, but you know, this whole thing's kind of started happening in the MSP, um, uh, industry about five years ago, going on six years ago. Um, and, uh, today there's about a hundred, uh, PE, um, PE owned MSP platforms in the United States, um, with some new ones emerging kind of all the time, right? Today, there might be 120, I don't know, but you know, last data I saw probably Q3 of last year. Um, was around a hundred. Um, there are a few of us here in the country that are trying to build an MSP owned, MSP operated, um, you know, platform. In other words, we're doing merger and acquisition activity. Um, but, uh, we, we still are operating either out of our own pockets or out of debt in order to finance, um, you know, uh, M&A activity. Um, we are not PE owned, not PE backed necessarily. We are one of those. Uh, we've done seven um, acquisitions to date, seven transactions to date, including August of last year, um, the merger acquisition of uh, my new business partners, their entity called Intellitex. They were another MSP here in the, in the Utah market. So um, we've joined forces, um, you know, taken two awesome teams and created a super team out of it. In that process, uh, those two owners we're appointed our COO and CRO now. So Eric Sessions and Jake Hill as COO and CROs of Nexus IT. And we are, you know, there's three business partners in the, in the business now. Okay. So just to kind of break that down a little bit, right? It seems like when I talk to a lot of MSPs, even considering the exit, maybe not the something they've really worked on. And if they have, it's kind of like, well, if, if my son comes along and joins the business or my daughter or somebody like that in my family, then, you know, there's kind of a buyout option. But otherwise, it's primarily been something like private equity. You know, I'm not sure everybody is as familiar with what that means or what that kind of means culturally. Um, but uh, from my experience, the expectations of private equity are different than perhaps the expectations you have. 
Can you talk a little bit about your expectations and how they uh, contrast? Yeah, most most definitely. And, and look, this is not a, a one size fits all kind of thing. Nor is um, you know, I know that we titled this um, "Don't Sell to the Devil," right? And um, you know. Uh, not all PE is bad, right? There are, you know, I, and I know a, a fair amount of the PE platforms out there. I have good relationships with with a lot of them. There are a lot of them are that are really great people trying to build really great organizations that are customer and, and, and people first. Um, uh, you know, uh, and there are some that, you know, they're candidly, they're just financial engineers that are looking for uh, potential upsides and to squeeze it for all it's worth, right? Um, and uh, as, a, as an MSP owned and operated platform, you know, we, we know the industry, we have compassion for the plight that we're all in. We know, you know, and, and we don't change our focus on, we are people first, right? And that means that our clients and our team comes first. Um, and we build, you know, the formulas and the equation of the business around that. Um, you know, so we're, we're a human centered organization. Um, yes, we have to produce uh, quality financial outcomes for all the shareholders, you know, for the future of the business so that we can continue to reinvest. So we can continue to acquire, we can continue to scale up compensation plans and benefits for our, our team and their education, right? Their ongoing certifications and all that kind of stuff, right? Continue to invest into culture and the community. We have four pillars as an organization, clients, our team, the organization and the community. And so we, we support the community a lot. Um, you know, we sponsor a lot of local, uh, you know, sort of uh, events and activities and, and nonprofits. We have a lot of nonprofits in our portfolio that we provide significant discounts to um, on services and product. Um, so, um, uh, you know, we're, I feel like we just look at this through a little bit different lens than what a typical PE platform might be. Again, there, there's, there may be, um, a, I'm not going to say there may be, there is a place for that for some entities, right? Um, depending upon what their, um, what their objectives are, where they want to go strategically, right? Whether they want to stay with the business or not stay with the business. Um, you know, they might be at a size. At some point, you get to a size where either, you know, your, your options are you either sell the PE or you find the right strategic exit. And those strategic ex exits, there's not a lot out there. Like, you know, the Accentures, Microsoft, IBM, you know, they're looking for some targets and stuff. Um, but, you know, once you're high eight figures, nine figures in revenue, if, if, you, if it's time to transition, your options of how you exit are, you know, are, are fairly slim, right? Um, you can IPO, of course, that's, a, that's another option. Um, you know, that has its own, we, we've looked at that, you know, we've studied it very extensively here at Nexus IT to decide if we, you know, if we want to IPO now and in the future or in the future, that might be an option in the future. Right now we've decided it's not the right fit for us. Um, but, uh, there are times when, you know, a PE, um, a PE relationships make it make sense. Right. Um, and there are times where potentially, um, staying with, a bigger brother that is part of your industry that um, knows your industry, knows you, knows your clients and your people um, and is trying to build with you as a partner in the process makes more sense. Completely. So yeah, we did title it don't sell to the devil. Um, and I, you know, obviously that part of that's just uh, a provocative headline. And part of it is I think a lot of folks in the IT industry look at um, a lot of the vendors, you know, um, 
a lot of them, most of them, right, are, are now private equity backed. Most of the RMMs are, like Kaseya and, and others. And, the, you know, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes because, you know, it's private. Nobody really, you know, none of us do, I should say. But some of them aren't real happy with what's happened. So there are, like you said, Earl, there are great and there are horrible MSPs, private equity. I mean, you know, there's some, there's great and in in horrible in every industry. Um, I, I get calls regularly from, you know, do you know any MSPs that are looking to sell? And I got one recently from a retired banker. Um, and just, you know, the MSP market provides a good return. He could put together a few um, family offices. So he put together his own little small private equity fund. Um, but, um, you know, the, uh, in my mind, the outcomes are different probably that you're looking for. And, and some of your things like, you know, getting rewarded financially for what you've built certainly needs to be in there. Um, but why would, let me flip that. Why would someone consider, um, first of all, let me, before I ask that question, is Nexus IT open to acquiring MSPs? And let me, let me just tee that up. What do they look like and where are they? Yeah, for sure. We are actively um, pursuing to expand the pace and the footprint of our m and activities. So in other words, yes, we, uh, we want to find more awesome MSP, you know, owner operators or teams out there that um, possibly are hitting a ceiling and there are natural ceilings in our industry, 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million. Those are all natural ceilings in our industry. And most of us bump up against those and we can't figure out how to get past them. And so, um, you know, uh, what we kind of offer is, you know, look, we've been there, we've done that. Um, we know how to help you, you know, we know how to help you transition as an MSP owner into, you know, becoming um, a, uh, a founder and executive in the business and to really, uh, you know, help grow this business. And so, um, you know, our focus is kind of on regional markets around Utah right now, but we are exploring, um, you know, some, some of our friends and targets uh, uh, along the East Coast. Um, we're looking at business-friendly markets right now, um, you know, so uh, a lot of the markets where, we're, where we have active, call it active pipeline, you know, on the acquisition front um, are places like Denver and Phoenix and Las Vegas and Austin and Boise, Idaho and, um, uh, you know, uh, the Midwest a little bit, Tri-Cities area, um, you know, they're, uh, we're trying to keep it, you know, focused enough that we, we don't get too divided in. Um, and too expensive in having to travel, you know, a lot to, to, um, to manage teams and all that. But for us, you know, we're looking for, um, we're looking for growth minded MSP owners that want to join the team and continue to grow. They're kind of maybe tired of, you know, working in the business and want to be taught how to work on the business and how to get really intentional and then how to, you know, grow their, their markets. Um, so we, you know, we generally, when we when we kind of plug in our marketing and sales engines and our operational best practices, um, you know, into another MSP, um, that first year after after they come on board with us, um, we can usually um, increase their um, their revenue by eighty to one hundred percent in those first twelve months, um, and then again they join us on that journey of a average growth rate of thirty to thirty five percent organically, right? Um, and we help we help them you know level up upskill in their business acumen in their capabilities to be real executing executives right uh, uh, so uh, we're looking for those who want to 
you know, come on board as like regional VP, you know, excuse me, uh, regional VPs and stuff like that. Right. Uh, now, some some MSP owners, uh, you know, uh, they, they're ready to step away and that's OK. We, we, we have you know taken on some of those uh, entities. Uh, we are still open to that. Um, primarily looking for those who want to continue to build with us, who have a unified vision. Uh, you know, we are working on building uh, one of the nation's top 10 MSPs. Um, ideally, we want to be the nation's best. Um, and that's that's what our vision is. Right. Uh, and so um, those that you know are out there that want to can, you know uh, join in that fight. Um, we're looking for those type of, you know, MSP owners and operators uh, to, to come join us. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at, Damon. So you heard it here first. If you want to be one of the top 10 or the top, um, then, you know, you, ha- you have another option, right, to join, join Nexus IT. Um, and uh, I, I want to ask another question or two about it. But before I do, right, this should apply to you guys, but probably any, um, what metrics really matter? If I'm running my MSP business, revenue I'm sure matters, but it's certainly not the only metric. So what should I be aiming for? And if you can't even give us some insights to, you know, like we all, we all know what bad margins look like to a certain degree, but give us some, you know, give it, give us what you're looking for if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, the, the very first things that we look at in a due diligence process are cultural fit and leadership philosophical fit, which is, again, that's that MSP owned, MSP operated sort of um, approach, because generally speaking, you know, on the other side, the very first things that are going to be looked at are the finances, legal, you know, uh, and um, oftentimes they don't really even care about culture and leadership philosophy, right? Um, Exactly. um, Let, Let me just, let me just interrupt you for a second, Earl. Yeah. You're too humble and too nice of a guy to say this. So I'll say it for you, but you know, part of, if I were an MSP, part of what I would be thinking of is, do I want other MSPs that know how to do this that started as an engineer that have been through the scaling ceilings to be my partners and build this and, or, and, or to run my team, depending on where you want to do, how involved you do, do or don't want to be, or do I want to sell it to a bunch of, um, only financially minded. My point is I teed you up to answer with financial metrics and, you answered with culture and leadership philosophy, which in my opinion is way more important. So I know you're too <laughs> yeah, humble to say that, but talk about, I mean, if, if you're, if you're looking to build a quality MSP where you're boosting your valuation, right? So that you're, you're optimizing your outcomes as an MSP owner. Um, uh, you know, you, you certainly your EBITDA, uh, you know, you want to be paying really close attention and, and working hard to get into that 20, to 25, 30% EBITDA, you know, per year, really, really high performing MSPs are are 35% per year. Um, Your portfolio of clients, you know, you want that to be 70 to 80% contract revenue and the balance in product and project, um, you know, or whatever your other offerings are. Um, But predictable revenue, that MRR, 70 to 80%, right? Um, Is what, you know, quality acquirers are looking for. the, the more that you have refined your processes, which will show up in your EBITDA, right? Uh, the more that you're able to do more with less, um, uh, have happy clients that, uh, you know, speak well about you, have happy people that speak well about you. Uh, you know, those are all really important, you know, parts of building a quality business that somebody wants to acquire. Um, of course, all of, you know, in today's world, when it comes to cyber risk and uh, compliance, 
the more you check those boxes, um, you know, the better you're going to do in due diligence and your valuation may, may raise, you know, a few points. Um, uh, so, you know, if, if you're, if you can get SOC 2, you know, ready, for example, or, um, you know, you can have, you have third party attestation that you're CMMC ready or GDPR or whatever it is. There's tons of, you know, of course, frameworks and, you know, regulations out there now. Um, uh, so if you can adhere, adhere to that type of stuff, that'll be helpful to you. Um, certainly, um, the size of your, your client base, um, and the distribution of that client base is important. Um, you know, if, if you're doing 5 million a year, but your average contract size is $800 a month, it's not going to be a super attractive book of business, right? If you're doing 5 million a year and your average contract size is eight, 10,000 a month, maybe even six, right? Um, then that, that's going to look a whole lot more, um, attractive, you know, um, and having a diversified portfolio, while it's nice to have those wells, you know, we have a number of clients that are, you know, 15 to 50,000 a month, um, but too many of those, right. And you run risk in, in markets like today where some of those wells, you know, struggle, um, uh, you know, and they represent a big part of your portfolio. Um, you know, that's a risk to, uh, to you and to the acquirer. So um, they're looking for diversified portfolios. Um, certainly, you know, if you've been able to capture uh, the verticals, you know, market share and the verticals that you are focusing on or vertical that you are focusing on. If you can, you know, display that, you know, we are the go-to authority for, uh, you know, for mid-sized dental offices in Southwest Arizona, right. Or something like that. Right. Um, you know, you, the more you display that your, your thesis uh, is active and functioning, uh, the more attractive you are to be acquired. Those are just some of the things, right? Uh, that, uh, that, uh, and certainly there's, there's a lot of different um, uh, considerations, of course, legal, make sure you button up anything that's out there. You know, you don't want any surprises and that, that's, you, you got to know that too. Like in a due diligence process, everything will be found. Right. Uh, and so uh, don't leave any skeletons in the closet. If you're getting ready to, you know, entertain, either transitioning out or joining a, a larger team, um, get, get your business ready to, to, to get there because the skeletons will be found and those will devalue the organization. Right. So in my experience, I've heard that getting exit ready versus just running it day to day and not thinking about those ends up being a pretty big difference when you add up all of those legal process, whether you've got CMMC, whether you're the known as the dental integrator in this, this geo, right? But being able to stack all those really makes quite a difference in the value, right? I mean, meaning a $4 million revenue business is not worth the same thing, lacking all those versus having all of those, right? Yeah, yeah. The other thing I would, I would um, recommend here, Damien, is that um, if, if you are considering doing something strategically with your MSP, um, don't run your MSP like a lifestyle business. The time to, to get sophisticated and start running your MSP like a growth um, oriented business um, is now. And what I mean by that is stop blending personal expenses with business expenses. Don't take your vacations on the business. Don't, you know, um, don't expense out, um, you know, family meals and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, draw the line, um, you know, and, and uh you know, take enough salary so that you can, you know, you, you can pay for the things you need to pay, you know, out of your personal accounts. Right. Um, but 
when you have those blended, you know, books, it, it will present challenges to you in a due diligence process, and it will devalue, uh, you know, the enterprise value of, of your MSP. Right, right. So what you're saying is, don't pay yourself forty thousand bucks a year as a CEO, um, and put all the expenses through the business. Um, you could obviously go too far the other side, uh, but yeah. totally, yeah. But, I mean, think think like a startup founder, right? You know, startup founders who are looking for you know a, an exit. They're going to take a, a reasonable income, you know. Um, uh, of course, there's going to be opportunities for bonuses and dividends and all that kind of stuff, right? That they're they're taking, but you know, eighty, hundred twenty, hundred fifty thousand, like as a base, um, you know, uh, would be reasonable. You know, MSPs who are taking two fifty, three, four, right, uh, a year, you know, um, that becomes, you know, it, it's not, it's not super attractive to an acquirer, particularly if that owner wants to stay with the business, because the reality is, is like, look, a COO in a, in a business that's doing 150 or sorry, a hundred million a year, their base is probably 250,000 a year. Yes, they have bonus and incentive opportunity and maybe making north of a million, um, but their base is probably 250, right? Uh, so um, you have to be reasonable as well. Um, and if you're, if you're five million dollar MSP, but you're taking home three hundred or three fifty a year, um, and you're not reinvesting into the business, into marketing and sales, and your team, and your your product offerings, and all that kind of stuff, um, it, it will diminish how attractive you are. Yeah, well said, Earl. And then you know, if you're pulling out that much cash you know, from the business, you're probably not reinvesting to grow as quickly, which is going to hurt EBITDA and or growth, perhaps both. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Um. What, you know, kind of wrapping up some of this around acquisitions, what thoughts do you have for anybody that's considering an exit? If I'm running my business, what, what are my next steps? What do I do? Right. I mean, cause I could type in Google, um, it's probably yeah. one of the worst things you could do. Right. But what, what should you do? What are my next steps if I'm considering an exit? Yeah. Um, I would definitely, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of sort of, um, activity happening in different markets talking about, you know, exits. A lot of investment bankers, for example, are putting on lunch and learns, uh, good opportunities to go learn, excuse me, learn about how to, how to prepare, you know, your, your business, um, for an exit, uh, uh, start talking to some of the entities out there, right? Take some time, use that as a studying process, right? Um, use that to understand what acquirers are looking for, how you can, uh, increase the quality of, you know, the, the uh, the financial picture um, and the overall, you know, picture of of, uh, of your business. So, um, invest time into learning um, and understanding, you know, where you want your your business to be, so that um, you can optimize your outcomes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing, Earl. I do want to remind everybody that Earl's been kind enough to drop your questions in. So Earl's been kind enough to come back, answer those questions. We will get those answers. So drop those in if you haven't been. Uh, we want to get those answered. Thank you so much, Earl. This has been amazing. We've had an incredible outpour that wanted to learn uh, the secrets here or how to prepare for an exit. Tell us about your podcast. Tell us about how to get connected with you. Yeah, for sure. So again, um, podcast is Tech Beat. Uh, look it up on you know any major podcast platform or LinkedIn, YouTube, um, you know Facebook. Uh, we, we stream live and, and videos are available on those platforms. 
as well. Um, for myself, you know, connect with me. I'm, I'm quite active on, on LinkedIn. Again, I do a lot of thought leadership. Um, so, you know, connect with me um, uh, on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, our website is nexusitc.net. Uh, and that's, you know, one thing to kind of know about me is the majority of our content that we produce um, is, is gear around, geared around entrepreneurship and, you know, business and leadership. Uh, why? Because our decision makers are, you know, they, they are business leaders who pay attention to that type of content. Now, it's a give back for us. You know, we've learned a lot in 20, you know, almost two and a half years excuse me, two and a half decades, <laughs> let me get that right, two and a half decades of being in business. So it's, it's a give back to the community to, you know, um, to help budding entrepreneurs, uh, you know, grow um, and learn and to hack their journeys and, and get to their uh, desired destinations faster. Uh, but it's also quality content that um, brings the right type of clients to us. And so um, anyways, we have a lot of content out there. Go, go check it out. Lots of good content that will help you build your business. There's no doubt about that. Thank you, Earl. Again, thank you for being a guest. Guys, drop your questions in. Earl has been uh, generous enough to come back and kind of answer those and make sure you get connected with him. Speaking of that, guys, we really appreciate you joining the DamienStevens.Live community. I love what we're building here, being able to have candid conversations with a guest each week and answer your questions. I want to tackle the hard stuff, not just the, the cool stuff. Now, before you go, if you want a copy of anything that happened, the show notes, how to get in touch with Earl, what's going on, what, what questions get asked, and the next version of this, email show at DamienStevens.live. That will get you connected to everything and the, the cool behind-the-scenes show notes. If you'd like to see if your MSP is a fit for managed backups and testing, visit Servasi.com slash call. I'll be happy to have a call with you. You guys have an awesome week and I'll see you back in two weeks where I've got another guest where we're going to talk about part two of exiting your MSP.